and puppy dogs and free tickets to the Red Sox and other things. So you can see the person out the door on your way out. It is great to hear the low, happy rumble of conversations. That's a sign of a, people that enjoy themselves together. And glad to hear that. We're going to be looking at the book of First Thessalonians this morning. We are addressing the topic of fatherhood. It is Father's Day and a happy Father's Day to you all, to the fathers out there. We're going to dig into this topic a little bit this morning. My name is Paul Buckley and I'm the lead pastor here and it's my joy to be back with you after two weeks of being away. Uh, there was one week where the men of our church, many of the men of our church gathered for a men's retreat and I was speaking there so I wasn't able to be here and Pastor Jeff spoke then last Sunday, Sean Wu brought God's word to us from Philippians, and I'm so grateful to have other leaders around me and guys that have teaching and preaching gifts to support me. Uh, and if you don't know, uh, I am serving, at least for a season, on the Sovereign Grace Ministries board, and those duties, uh, at least at this point, probably until the fall, uh, will be pretty intense. And I'm just glad for the support of our leaders, and I'm glad for your support. I don't like to be away. I love being here. I was so excited this morning to think about being back with you guys and back worshiping together and being addressed by God through his word together. That's really where I prefer to be. But at this season of our family of churches, I've been called upon to serve as we walk through some shifts in how we govern our family of churches, shifts in what's called polity, uh, so I'm serving in that capacity on the board and serving as part of the polity committee that is really uh, researching and proposing uh, some changes. I think they're good changes. At some other point, I'd love to talk with you more about those. Uh, feel free to ask away. But thank you. Thank you just for your prayers. Uh, I know a number of you were praying for me this past week, and we had a pretty important board meeting. You'll be hearing more details this week uh, from that meeting, and um, I really felt your prayers. Some of the things that we ask for, we ask for wisdom, we ask for clarity, we ask for unity. Those particular qualities were experienced in a real marked way. Actually, the other board members commented on, on just how this board meeting was uh, a, a wonderful board meeting and marked by those particular things. So thank you for your specific prayers. And God was gracious to hear and answer and bless the board and bless me as I serve. So thank you so much. Uh, you will probably be seeing a little bit less of me in the coming season, uh, but I hope to be here at least twice a month on Sundays, uh, if not more than that. We will have some of our other men preaching as well. That's a good thing, uh, though I love to be here, and the, our long-term plan is for the lead pastor, for me to be a predominant preaching pastor. But it's a good thing because it's a sign of God's grace, that God is giving us gifts, men who can, who can preach and lead, and he's raising up other pastors and elders uh, for the health of our church and for the sake of the mission because it is our intent that we send men out and send teams out. We send groups of people out to plant and, and, and many of you know about our intentions in Manchester and Lord willing in Boston following as well and, and beyond. So I'm excited and this is a season for those men to step up uh, and serve and they're doing a great job. Well let's get to our topic today. It is Father's Day. 
This is an oh-so-important topic, fatherhood. It's mentioned in the Bible. The word father in, in related terms are mentioned about a thousand times in Scripture. And God himself is called father over 250 times in the Scriptures. The Bible is very clear on the importance of this concept. Our culture uh, knows it's an important concept. I would say our culture is confused about fatherhood. There's all sorts of perspectives you can find out there. If you're familiar with Sigmund Freud, he had some interesting views of fatherhood. Uh, we can look in the media and, and see the portrayals of fatherhood. We're kind of, our culture's somewhat in the phase of the benevolent dope as a father. You know what I mean? That, that he's, uh, he's at best, he's a benevolent dope. He's a well-meaning but incompetent person. Homer Simpson comes to mind as well as others. There are some good Examples out there in modern culture. I think of uh, the dad from Finding Nemo, Marlon. I think his name is Marlon. Good dad, ran after his son. Uh, the Bob Parr from The Incredibles. There's some other ones as well. I actually was reading recently there's a group of dads that are protesting this stereotype of dads as benevolent dopes and they've lobbied. I think it was a Pampers commercial that came out and just made the dad look totally incompetent. They lobbied Pampers and got them to change their commercials to start making dads look a little more than. Homer Simpson's trying to change diapers. So, but our, our culture is confused. There's, there's questions out there about fatherhood. What is a father? And if you, if you enter into some of those debates in our culture, which I actually encourage you to do as far as you're able and called, uh, there are questions and debates about what a father is. Everything from, is a father just the guy that donates genetic material to a child? That's, that's you know, some people's idea of fatherhood. It's just merely someone who passes on uh, some Y chromosomes. Uh, there's other questions out there. What is a dad? You know, is it, is, it something that, is it something that's inherent or is it just learned? What is it to be a man? Our culture is confused about this. Is, it a, is a, a father just a co-parent? Uh, is there anything inherent about being a dad? Well, the Scripture leads us in these things. The Scripture gives us answers. And so this morning we're going to look at some scripture, a particular passage that, that talks about fatherhood. And there are lots of passages that do that address this subject. I would want to make it clear, though, as we go through this, and we'll touch on this as we go, and I think Scripture is very firm on this, that fatherhood is something that flows from the very character of God. The foundations of fatherhood are not culturally determined. Fatherhood is not something when God, it says God is our Father, or the Lord's Prayer, right, starts out our Father who is in heaven. Uh, when it says God, when it portrays God as our Father, it's not merely trying to help us understand who God is by using what's called an anthropomorphism, just a, a character trait of humanity and applying it to God. It flows the other way, actually, in Scripture. God himself is the Father, and from his character flows this whole idea of fatherhood, and therefore it's appropriate for us to call him our Father. His character, his word, his truth determines what fatherhood is. All these things are behind this word father, and, and as we dig in, I hope to serve you in your understanding and the blessing that flows from right understanding of what fatherhood is from Scripture. When we say Happy Father's Day, there's a lot going on in that simple statement. And we need to dig into the Scriptures to understand this, and I believe to understand it to the point where it changes our lives. Dads, my goal in looking at the scriptures today is not to merely inform you. Uh, moms, children as well, it's not to merely inform you, but as we encounter God's word, as we look at 
this idea of fatherhood, as we understand that God is our father and as we understand what, what that means for how fathers are to live and what they are to be, the goal is transformation. The goal is that God would change our lives and give us strength and power in life to walk in these things. So with that in mind, let's pray and ask God to work as we look at his word this morning. Lord, we thank you that you are our heavenly father. We thank you that fatherhood is rooted in your character, in who you are. You are eternal and infinite, and we can look to you to understand fatherhood. And so we ask you, Lord, to speak to us, to teach us about fatherhood this morning. And Lord, as we live in these truths, may our lives be transformed. May we live under your fatherhood. And for those of us who are earthly fathers, may you train us and instruct us in how to walk. May our lives be changed. May we know joy and love and truth, and may you be glorified as we hear from you this morning. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. We're going to look at a very short passage in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 11 and 12. And this is a verse where Paul talks about fatherhood. The context here is that Paul and his team have planted a church in Thessalonica, they weren't there all that long. Uh, some people think as short as three weeks. I, I think that's highly unlikely, but probably months that they're there in Thessalonica. They've moved on. They had to move on because of persecution, but they have brought the gospel and started a church. And so Paul is writing this letter with his team to communicate his love for them and to instruct them in some key truths. And part of what he does in this letter is just communicate his feelings and his perspective in terms of his relationship with them. And, and in that vein, he says in verses 11 and 12, this. For you know how, like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God, who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. First Thessalonians 2, 11 and 12. A short verse here. But Paul is in this verse talking about what fatherhood is like. He's, he's not necessarily intending in this verse to give us a Father's Day message. I wouldn't want you to misunderstand that. This isn't something Paul thought, oh, I'll just say this because you know, people will need Father Day, Father's Day messages later on and this will supply them. Uh, he is not doing it for that reason, but he is, he is communicating his relationship with the uh, Thessalonians. And he's saying, like a father with his children. So it's a, it's a lesson we learn kind of as we listen. It's a secondary lesson from this passage. What he's doing here is he's communicating to the Thessalonians the nature of his relationship with them. And he likens it to a father with children. And so we can learn what a relationship of a father with children looks like. And so we look in verse 12. It says, we exhorted each one of you. We exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. Paul has lived in such a way with them. He's lived like a father with his children. And therefore, he has exhorted them. He has communicated with his dear friends in Thessalonica the, the importance of the truth of God. He has, he has instructed them in the, in the lifestyle of walking with God. He has led them into the discipline, the, the, the framework, the lifestyle that flows from living your life in the gospel. He's exhorted them. 
But he's not just exhorted them. He's not just said, guys, this is important. This is what it looks like. You've got to do this. But he's also encouraged them. And the King James says, comforted them. He's come up and supported them. He's come alongside them. He's, he's bolstered them. He's provided for them as well. He's encouraged them. And he's also charged them. He's testified to them. He said, guys, this is the truth. This is the way. This is, this is Christ. This is what it means to live in this. And, and because you belong to him, you must live this way. This is worth it. This is the truth. And so he's charged them. He's done these three things. He's exhorted. He's encouraged. He's charged them. Now I would, I would submit that the charging aspect is an important part. But I would, I would put it under... Uh, it is a subset of, exhor- of exhortation. And so what I want to do today is, is just talk about fatherhood in terms of these two things. To be a dad is to exhort. To be a dad is to encourage. To be a dad is to exhort. To be a dad is to encourage. And Paul sets this example as he lives with the Thessalonians and as he teaches them here as well. That if, to be a dad is to exhort... a to be a dad is to encourage. I believe you have notes before you, and that's what we're going to talk about this morning, how a dad exhorts, a dad encourages. We're going to look at the character of God in this, and then the implications from these characteristics of fatherhood for dads and for life as well. So first, a father exhorts. This sometimes is used uh, in Scripture. A word that captures this is, is a father disciplines. Actually, you can look in Ephesians chapter 6. Verse 4, I think we have that to put up as it talks about what a dad does. And we see the same sort of division in Ephesians 6, 4. It says, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. The, The discipline and instruction of the Lord. Dads are called to raise their children in the discipline, the lifestyle, and the instruction, the truth of the Lord. That's the charging aspect as well. The discipline. And discipline in Scripture doesn't mean just the aspect of discipline that we think of perhaps of, you know, you need to, when your kids are rebellious and openly defiant as little children, you need to spank them perhaps. And that's discipline. That's what we tend to think of discipline. Or if they're older, uh, we, would, we would tend to treat them more as adult discipline operates. In other words, you withdraw privileges from them. They, they receive the, the consequences of their actions. So, you know, withholding computer privileges. We think of that sort of thing as discipline, but that's, the word is bigger than that. It's not just the negative, not just taking away things to reinforce, uh, reinforce consequences, but it's really, the, it's really the whole lifestyle. A dad is responsible to lay before his children and lead them in the whole lifestyle of being a believer. So it's, it's corrective indeed, but it's also directive. Discipline is corrective and directive. It's not just about when they go and do something wrong, you bring correction, but it's actually leading them by instruction and, and, and words that maybe have to be strong at times, maybe full of tears at times, full of proper emotion, saying, son or daughter, this is the way of the Lord. You've got to live your life centered on Christ." You can't do it. I can't do it. You need to depend on the grace we have, the forgiveness we have, the the strength we have from Christ. You need Him. You need to depend on Him. You You need to be desperate for Him. And you need to 
believing in him, walk in these ways. This is the life. This is what God calls you to. This is what it looks like. Let me tell you about my life. Let me tell you about the things that I've done that have been wrong when I have not depended on him and I've gone my own way. This is what it looks like. I want to save you from that pain and, and, and wasting your life. You, you are to live this way. Follow this way. It's, that's what discipline is. It's laying out for them and helping them walk through the lifestyle of following God. So we're responsible dads. And to be a dad is to be one who exhorts, one who disciplines one who directs and corrects both. It, it's not enough. It's not okay to merely correct. Actually, that's the easy way to do it, isn't it? Just to, to be active, to be activated when they do something wrong. You know, you've done it wrong. I've got to bring consequences. If that's your idea of fatherhood, that's deficient from what the Word of God calls us to, to be disciplinarians in the whole way, both directive and corrective. We need to be leading them in the life of Christ in a directive way as well as a corrective way. And dads, you're called to a high standard in this. You are responsible for your children to discipline them, to, to direct them, to correct them. And there are, there are negative examples in Scripture that ought to weigh heavy on a dad. I often go back to the example of Eli. And I know I've shared with that before. It's an example that has has put the fear of God in me at times. Do you guys know the story of Eli? Anyone familiar with Eli? The, the high priest in the Old Testament in the days right before Samuel. Eli, in many ways, was a wonderful high priest. He was a faithful high priest. He, he did his duties. He did them well as a high priest. He even was part of raising up a, a successor in many ways in Samuel. He was a relatively successful father. But his sons were trouble. His sons were regularly stealing from the sacrifices. His sons actually were even going so far as to engage in illicit sex within the tabernacle. There were some seriously bad things going on with his sons. And if you read the story, you'll, you, and if you probe it, you'll see that actually Eli warned his sons and said, what are you doing? He went after his sons. There was some degree of correction. But if you'll see the story with Eli, Eli was not committed and dependent on the Lord to the point of bringing the fullness of discipline to his sons. And, and it wasn't that he didn't do anything. It was that he didn't do everything he could to discipline his sons, to lead them in the direction of the Lord and correction. He allowed them to do these horrible things. And he was the high priest. He ministered and the presence of God. And so that just heightened the offense of Eli's laziness. And so there's a solemn judgment that's brought to Eli in the story in 1 Samuel 3. Solemn judgment from God. God says to Eli, I believe through Samuel at this point, he says, And I declare to him that I'm about to punish his house forever for the iniquity that he knew because his sons were blaspheming God and he did not restrain them. Therefore I swear to the house of Eli that the iniquity of Eli's house shall not be atoned for by sacrifice or offering forever. Whoa. Now, I don't want you to feel that you are in danger of the judgment Eli received. Eli was a high priest. He's not 
we are not in the role that Eli was. And we live in this age of the new covenant where our understanding of Christ transforms our lives and we experience grace in him. The wrath of God is not hanging over our heads as believers. The wrath of God hung on Christ as he went to the cross. And if you are a believer and you put your faith in him, the wrath of God is satisfied in Christ. You are forgiven and beloved and welcomed into his family. And he is for you in every way. So don't put yourself in the place of Eli. But don't miss the warning, dads, that we are called to be responsible for our children. We are called to be exhorters. We are called to to discipline our children. There's no room for laziness as dads. Now, I know this is a heavy word to hear, but you must hear it, and I must hear it. And there's some solutions we're going, going to get to. I want us to understand how the grace of God operates in this, but I want us to hear this call to dads to be disciplinarians, to be those that direct and correct and and lead our children and care for them by being active and disciplining them. I, I understand the dilemma of dads. I know what it's like. You hear this call, this call to be exhorters, the call to be disciplinarians, and, and, you, and you probably start thinking, your brain starts spinning, and you're thinking of all the things that you need to do. And if you're like me, I, I know at times I, I feel overwhelmed. I come home from work sometimes, and I'm just pooped out. And I come home, and I just want to, I just want to veg. Now, I don't necessarily watch a lot of TV, but I, I sometimes I just, you know, I want to get a book out, read the paper, or get on the internet and just kind of catch up on Facebook, find something fun, read the sports uh, news of the day, and just come home and check out. Because after a full day, my energies are gone. And I, and I really don't want to come in and have to be the dad in those cases. Do you know what I mean? I mean, I can think of the different challenges when my kids were young and I would come home and there'd be a conflict going on between my kids and, and the call was for me to step in. I was like, I just don't want to be a referee right now. I don't want to deal with another case of the Bicker brothers here that are arguing over whose turn it is on the computer or not. Now, our kids are older, we don't have that. But there's other challenges that are, are inherent in any family. Somebody who's just having a hard time and needs a dad who's just going to spend time with them and listen and love and, and instruct. And yet the dad that's supposed to do that is having trouble on his own, speaking to his own soul after the end of a hard day. And now I'm supposed to come and, and, and be a dad for you? It's, it's, it's a burden. It feels heavy. And that's okay. That's the reality. Guys, we are limited. And the call of fatherhood is a heavy call, but it's not to be approached in a way where we just kind of pick ourselves up by our bootstraps and just do what we're supposed to do, just man up and and be a superman. We can't. We need help. We need the Lord's grace to come in at those moments. We need to understand that we cannot be the fathers we're called to be apart from the grace of God. And that's where the good news of God and His grace comes in. He is the perfect Father. He is faithful. He he has given His all for His children. He is faithful in every way to be the perfect disciplinarians in our lives. He is available to us at those moments. 
And so dads, we need to hear that call that we are to be disciplinarians, we are to be exhorters, we are to, to lead our children in correction and in direction as well. But we are to be left desperate for God's grace in our lives. We are to be driven to the point where we are at that moment. Maybe it's when you come home and you're just desperate. I can't do this. I don't have the energy. I don't have the mindset. And it's at that point that we need to turn to the Lord, the the true Father, the one who is the Father, from whom all families are named, the ultimate Father, God the Father, and say, God, you call me to do the impossible, to be a dad after you. Help me in this moment. Grant me grace. And you know what the good news is? There is all the grace you need. His grace is sufficient for you. And he loves to put you in those moments. You know, we have a view of Christianity that it's about doing the list. It's about getting everything right. It's about being omnicompetent and and, and being the perfect father, but it isn't. That's not the view of Christianity. Paul, the apostle, who, who was probably the most competent man short of... Uh, the God-man, Jesus Christ himself, just in Scripture, in terms of giftedness. He talks about in, in uh, 2 Corinthians just about his desperate need, his, his limitations. And the, and the book is just full of him talking about how he's felt just beyond, beyond his ability to endure. He's despaired of life itself, he says at one point. He's very honest in this feeling of desperation and he goes through in that book and, and, and just ends up delighting in his weakness. Not delighting in his strength. Not delighting that he's a dad or he wasn't a dad but a man who has everything together. But delighting in his weakness because he knows that there's one who is truly strong. And that in that weakness, that's when the strength of God is truly shown. That's how God likes to operate dads. He likes to drive you to that point, at that moment when you come home and there's a, something you need to do of desperation so that you can recognize your weakness and be strong in Him and look to Him. He has provided the Son for you. He has provided His own Son for you to pay for your sins. Christ bore your sins on the cross paid for those sins and offered up this sacrifice of his life to the Father. The Father received the sacrifice of Christ and raised him on the third day. And now through faith you are united with Christ and all the grace that you could ever have is yours in Christ. He is there for you in those moments. But it comes through weakness. It comes through desperation. It comes through crying out, God, help me. Fatherhood will be the death of us, dads. And that's a good thing. Because when you die to self-strength, self-sufficiency, self-righteousness, then you can truly live in the grace of God in Christ for you. So don't despise those moments of weakness. Don't think that you've just got to man up and do it. Run to God the Father who has provided the grace for you at those moments to come in and to help you. He is faithful. He provides the grace we need. And He is our wonderful example of a Father that we draw not only strength from, but understanding of what it means to be the perfect and faithful disciplinarian. He is committed to us 
in a way that is just wonderful. He exemplifies faithful discipline. And we can look to his example. We can look to his strength to walk in his ways. Hebrews 12 speaks of this sort of discipline of our father. Listen to what it says about him. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It says that he disciplines us for our good, that we may share in his holiness. This is what our Father is like. He's the faithful disciplinarian. He's the one who disciplines us for our good, that we might share in his holiness. And he is relentless. He does not fail. He's not like Eli. He's not like us. He is faithful and relentless in pursuing us and bringing discipline in our lives. Even the discipline of coming home and feeling desperate, forcing us into those situations where we have to relearn the power of the gospel in weakness. Dads, he's committed to that. And if you have the approach in fatherhood of thinking that you've got to get it all right, you've got to do it all right, you are going to fall on your face because the father is committed to discipline in your life to teach you that you are weak and not competent and dependent on him. He is relentless in his discipline of us for our good. And he's relentless in disciplining us so that we might share in his holiness, that we might become like Christ. And dads, that's, the, that's what we're after with our children. Our discipline of our children is not to create star athletes who can do what we never got to do as an athlete. Our discipline as a dad is not to create star scholars who can do what we never got to do as scholars or whatever it might be. All those, all those other motives for discipline are not the goal. The goal for dads is the same goal that our father has in our discipline to form our children into the image of Christ to discipline and to lead them for that purpose. To, to walk after our Heavenly Father in His commitment to create in us the image of Christ, to make us like Christ. I'm so glad that our Heavenly Father is relentless in His discipline. He will not fail us. Our hope is in Him, not ourselves. And He is disciplining us for good to make us like Christ. Thank God for that. Thank God that he has provided for that. He is faithful to that in our lives. And it's interesting to actually look at even his relationship of God the Father with God the Son. Though the Son was sinless, the Son had to be perfected as well. Part of his program for Jesus, God the Son, was to perfect him, to discipline him, and to present him as a perfect offering on the cross so the life of Christ as God the Son, His sufferings, even His sufferings in the Garden of Gethsemane and the Hill of Calvary were not merely about paying for our sins, but also His righteousness and His life being perfected and offering up to the Father a perfect life. So if the Son had to be disciplined as such, even though He was without sin, we must also expect that He will discipline us in our lives, pushing us towards weakness, teaching us about dependency on His grace, and then leading us to do the same with our children. I hope that makes sense. I hope that helps you in your understanding of, of your relationship to the Father and therefore your relationship as dads to your sons. We are called to be disciplinarians 
like the Father is with us, to our children, to form in them the image of Christ. I, I had a dog when I was a kid. Uh, her name was Katie. She was a really nice dog. She was a poodle mix, a very smart dog. But she had this one bad habit in her life. Uh, on trash day, she would get out. If she, well, back in those days, there weren't leash laws, so we let our dogs roam. On trash day, she would go and she would, she would find all the trash buckets in the neighborhood and dig into them. She had learned this habit apparently as a puppy, and, it, and, and when she was a puppy, her mother had this habit of bringing trash to the, she would bring trash to the puppies from the local trash barrels. And, and Katie got in the same habit. She would go out, and she was a great dog. She was very obedient, but this was just an ingrained habit in her. Trash day, she'd come back, and, and, uh, and even, if, even if we didn't catch her, we could know she was guilty because she would come back and there'd be like grease all over her snout and everything. And, be like, and she would know right away. Be like, where have you been? And she'd, you know, cower and everything, tail between the legs, and, you know, and, and she couldn't hide it very well. It was obvious she had been in trash again, and, we, and it was like clockwork on trash day. Katie would get in the trash. She had developed as a puppy this taste for trash. She loved trash. Whatever it was about trash, there was something good in, in the dog world. You know, I don't know how dogs operate because they like things that stink pretty bad. But, but in, in her little world, there was something valuable about that trash. She loved it. And her habit was firmly entrenched in, as a puppy. And we could actually, we never were able to quite break her of the habit. She had a taste for trash. Guys, you and I have a taste for trash as well. We love the things of the world. We love the things of the world because we like to put our hope in them. We, we like to make them our gods. We like to take even good things and, and, and build our lives around them and, 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 and eat of that trash and try to draw our hope from that thing. And it could be good things. It could be things like food. That's a good thing. It could be our career, a job. That's a good thing. It could be other things that, that are dangerous, things like drugs and illicit sex. It can be the whole span, but we have this taste for trash. We, we love the things of this world, and yet the Father loves us as the perfect heavenly Father. He loves us deeply, and He is committed to discipline in our lives because He loves us. He wants to put out of our mouths that taste of trash. He wants to teach us to come to Him, to depend on Him for His grace, to run to Him, to build our lives on Him, to run away from those idols, those other things, and put them in their proper place and feast on Him and draw our strength from Him. This is what He's after in His discipline of us, and He is fully committed to that. That's a good thing. Be glad He is committed to discipline in our lives, to put out of our mouths the taste of trash, to make us feast on him and treasure him, to eat filet mignon, not trash, to find him as our strength and him as our identity and him as our power as dads, to be able to turn around, having received this love and this instruction from him, to turn around and to do the same with our children, to love them enough to discipline to direct them, to correct them, to be committed like our Heavenly Father is to their lives. A father exhorts. A father disciplines. But also a father encourages as well. 
This is here in 1 Thessalonians as well. And throughout Scripture, this is the pattern we see in God. Where this is the pattern that dads are called to, to be those that encourage. And, and when I say encourage, I mean encourage means to give strength, to give courage, to encourage. And it really captures the whole side of being a dad as being a provider, someone who supports, someone who supplies, someone who provides. And encouragement is, is provision, really, that's emotional provision, relational provision. But it, it speaks to and hints at the whole, the whole picture of a dad who's not just providing emotionally, but providing materially and relationally as well. To be a dad is to be an encourager. And this is what dads are called to, and this is what our Heavenly Father is like. There's pictures throughout Scripture on this, wonderful pictures of who He is and what we are called to by implication as well. I love in Matthew chapter 7, it speaks about this in the context of prayer. It says, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. And the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks it will be opened. So Jesus is inviting us to ask and to seek and to knock and to receive. And why? What's the grounds of that? He goes on, Or which one of you, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if we ask for a fish, we'll give him a serpent. He's using the example of dads as the understanding, the background to understand why we are to ask. He, he says, guys, you understand as dads this, this impulse to give, to provide, to encourage, to supply. He says, if you were asked these things, would, if you were asked for bread, would you give a stone? No, you understand fatherhood. If you asked for a fish, would you give a servant? No. And then he says in verse 11, if you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? This is what God's light like he loves to hear you ask for things because he's the perfect heavenly father. He's waiting to provide for you, to supply your needs, to help you in your situation. This is his disposition. This is what he's like. Sometimes for us, if we've had dads that maybe weren't like this, it can be hard to understand that this is what the father's like. Sometimes on Father's Day, some of us are perhaps struggling with this idea of fatherhood because our earthly fathers often, actually always, are less than perfect, and for some of us, far from perfect. And I would say to you that, that the Father, the Heavenly Father, understands your situation. He knows what went on in your life, and He's there for you right now. He's the perfect Heavenly Father who never fails, who's relentless in His love for you, and who is eager to give to you, and he will never fail you. And so the call for you, if you've had a dad that was far from perfect, and really the call for all of us who have dads that are not perfect, is to ground our hope in our heavenly dad, and what he is like. He is the perfect father, and he is eager to give. He is eager to provide. He is eager to encourage you and meet you. This is fundamental to being a dad. Now, I don't mean to say that moms don't provide, but I would believe from Scripture that dads are to be the primary providers for their families. There's all sorts of application we can make from that. I would encourage dads to seek to be the, the prime providers for their families, to express the characteristics of God where possible to be the main breadwinner in their family to find 
occupations that not only satisfy your desire to use your gifts, but provide for your family. In our culture, there's been a shift, and it's not an entirely healthy shift. A generation ago, a job was about provision. My dad and his generation, they saw their jobs as primarily the ability to provide for their families. They had come out of the, the Great Depression and the war, and so they understood the importance of being providers. And my dad, thankfully, loved to provide for his family. That's how he expressed his love for my family, and I'm glad for that. There's been a shift through the baby boomers in the current generation to see jobs primarily as self-fulfillment. And I would submit to you that, that that would not be the solo motivation for jobs. I, I, I can't tell you where to place the priorities, but I would want to call you to not allow the culture's drive to make self-fulfillment what drives you in, in career as what determines what you do. But to understand if you hope to be a dad, if, you, if you're hoping to be married, that provision for your family is a high calling that expresses the heart of our Heavenly Father through your life to your family. So be willing to take a job that may not leave you so fulfilled because there's something even greater to fulfill your hearts than the, the knowledge that you are providing and, and, and imaging God the Father to your family. That's what He's like. He's the provider and dads rejoice in that. Re rejoice in being able to provide financially for your family. Pursue vocations, enjoy vocations that do that, delight in that. We have a lesson to learn from the greatest generation on this. It's a blessing to provide. But it's not just financially, dads. We're not called to just to image the Father just through financial provision. We're called to image the Father through all types of provision for our family. We are to be the ones that encourage our children. We are the ones who are to provide emotional support, relational support. Experts say that, that a father's view of their children is determinative even in a child's self-identity. In other words, that child, that son or daughter, will, will come to an understanding of who they are through the eyes of their dad, for good or for bad. That would be the pattern, I'd say, in Scripture as well. So dads, you have a wonderful opportunity to impact a life for good as you encourage, as you provide, as you remind your children of the grace that you see, be it common grace that's common to humanity or the, certainly the saving grace when you see Christ at work in them, to remind your children regularly of how God is at work in them and where you see that leading them. Dream with your children about where they could go in God's grace. Let them hear your heart and your hopes for them. That will shape them tremendously. Lay out for them just how you might see God using them. And don't worry about it, it being ridiculous. Dream with them. Do that. Go to those places. Imagine with them how God might use them. Certainly help them understand humility. That it's all dependent on God. But do that. I, I have so enjoyed that with my children. And I am so thankful for the grace of God in my kids and how I see God working in them. And I want them to know, and I hope they do know, that when I see them, I don't see what's wrong with them. Though I'm aware of ways they need to grow, but I see what's right with them. I see the grace of God in their lives. Peg and I have talked about a rule of thumb that we call the 90% rule. 
That in our relationship with our children, we want 90% of our conversation with them to be about the grace of God at work in their lives. We want them to know and feel our excitement for them, how we see God at work and where we see God leading them. We want them to be affirmed in that. Yes, there's a 10% of correction and help. Now, that rule of thumb is not just pulled out of of the air. I think it's reflective of our Heavenly Father's relationship with us. Just look through Scripture, guys. The book of 1 Corinthians, a horrible church in many ways. And yet Paul spends the first chapter just talking about how he sees the grace of God at work in these people. He calls them saints. He calls them chosen ones. We look through Scripture, our identity from the Father through Christ is is a positive identity. Yes, the Lord corrects us, but the Scriptures spend a lot of time talking about this positive identity. We are forgiven ones. We are chosen ones. We are beloved. We are new creations. We are ones made after the image of Christ. And, And I could go on and on. Dads, make sure your children hear your encouragement. Let me tell you a story about someone's life who was changed by this. His name is Roger Crawford. John Maxwell, the author, pastor, and consultant, tells the story of Roger Crawford. You can actually look him up on the internet. He's a 50-year-old consultant and public speaker. He's written two books. He travels around the country working for Fortune 500 companies, speaking, wonderful credentials, but actually there's more more to the story than that. He's not just a speaker, but he was a varsity tennis player in in college at Loyola, um, Marymount University. He later became a professional tennis player, and you're probably thinking, okay, that's pretty cool, but there's more to the story. Roger has done all this with no hands and only one foot. He was born with a condition called ectrodactylism, where often your hands and feet are malformed. He was born with only a thumb-like projection extending out of his right forearm and a thumb and a finger only out of his left forearm, no palms. His legs and arms were shortened. He had a shrunken foot that was later amputated. But his parents did not let this disability shape their view of their son. They encouraged him about the good. They determined to give him the best chance to lead a normal life. They raised him to feel loved and to be strong and to be independent. His dad would say, you're only as handicapped as you want to be. They sent him to public school. They involved him in sports. They encouraged him to do all that his heart desired, and they taught him to think positively. He says, sometimes my parents, uh, something my parents never did was to allow me to feel sorry for myself or to take advantage of people because of my handicap. This shaped his life. And he says in his story, he didn't, uh, I don't think I really understood the significance or extent of uh, well, about him actually, I don't, did not, he didn't understand the extent or significance of his achievements until he went to college and he interacted with some people he met. He received a phone call from a man who had read about his tennis victories and Roger agreed to meet him at a nearby restaurant. And when Roger went to shake his hand with the man, he discovered that the man had hands that were almost identical to his. Roger became excited. He thought, well, here's someone who has my conditions and maybe being a little older than me can be as a mentor. But after talking to the stranger for a few minutes, he realized he was wrong. He says, instead, what I found was someone who was bitter, pessimistic, who blamed all of life's disappointments and failures on his anatomy. He said, I soon recognized that our lives and attitudes couldn't have been more different. He had never held a job for long, and he was sure that this was because of discrimination. 
Certainly not because, as he admitted, that he was late to work, frequently absent, and failed to take responsibility. His attitude of this man was, the world owes me, and his problem was that the, that the world disagreed. And he was even angry with me, Roger says, because I didn't share his despair. Roger says, we kept in touch for several years until it dawned on me that even if by some miracle he were suddenly to be given a perfect body, his unhappiness and lack of success wouldn't change. He would still have been at the same place. He maintains handicaps can only disable us if we let them. This is true not only of physical challenges, but of emotional and intellectual ones as well. He says, I believe that real and lasting limitations are created in our minds, not our bodies. And Roger has that perspective because of his parents. Because his dad and his mom encouraged him. They saw the good. They saw the possibilities. And they, they instructed him and, and caused him to form an identity not around what he couldn't do, but what he might be able to do. And he exceeded everybody's expectations. Dad, are you encouraging your son or daughter? Do they feel your support? Do they feel your enthusiasm? Do they know your provision for them? We are called to be like this dad's, just as our heavenly father is. The band could come up as we close this morning. Dads, we're called to encourage. We're called to provide. We're called to also to exhort and to discipline our children. This is what it means to be a dad, to be a, an encourager, to be an exhorter, to provide, to support, but also to guide and to direct and to correct. This is a tall order, but we're not left to ourselves in it. We have a heavenly Father that is the perfect Father. He disciplines, He guides, He corrects, He directs, He has been the supplier for us. He has provided His only Son for us, and He welcomes us into the family. He counts us as sons and daughters. As, as we turn to Him in faith and put our trust in Christ, we are in that family. And now His grace is all sufficient for us. So dads, we have hope. Today on Father's Day, let us put our hope in our Heavenly Father, who is the perfect provider, who is the perfect disciplinarian. And let us, as we trust in Him, walk forward from this place to follow after him, to bring blessing and honor to his name. Let's take a minute to pray. I want to pray for dads in our midst, that God would meet you and use you and bless you this day. Lord, we come before you this morning. You are the Father, the perfect Father, and we look to you, to your grace. We thank you for your provision of Christ in our lives. That you have provided all that we need for forgiveness and life and power. That you are there for us and with us. And we thank you for this pattern and this provision in you. We thank you that you are the disciplinarian as well. So we ask you as dads, and I ask for all the dads here, would you meet us, our perfect Heavenly Father? And would you change us as we depend on you to be like you? to our children. For their good and your glory we pray. Amen. Amen. Mm -hmm.